Well, hello, Christ community. It's good to be with you today. Before we jump into our text this morning, I actually have a pretty significant announcement for you. That if when you pop, when I popped on the screen for you, you thought that bearded man looks nice, but I really wish I could see the pastors from my campus. It's okay. Um, and starting actually May 24th, we're going to move to campus-specific worship services. Now it's been great being together, worshiping together over these last few weeks. But our multi-site mission, we feel, really sets us up well in this time of pandemic, where we don't just have one church in one location, but five churches spread out throughout our city in various neighborhoods and communities to meet the needs that are going to come in the next weeks and months ahead. And so starting May 24th, we'll, you'll see your own pastor for your own services for Campus Pacific. Um, but this morning, you're stuck with me, the bearded pastor. So uh, let me pray for us. And then we'll jump into our text, Psalm 27. Let's pray. Father, this psalm ends by telling us to be strong, to take courage, and to wait for you. And that that just feels overwhelming. And so would you lead us into this psalm to show us how to do that, how to be that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last time we were together, or you were watching me on this screen, I shared with you my family's quarantine strategy with three boys under the age of eight. And that strategy was the Chronicles of Narnia. The strategy continues to go well that for whatever reason, C.S. Lewis taps into something that is, is just deeply human and, and brings us in, and brings us in so much that even a six-year-old who is bounding full of energy like my son, Micah, who has so much energy, he's recently begun challenging me to races to see who's faster. Um, I won by a lot, but that's another story. It it even calms him down. And and the reason is when you enter into his stories, there's something there that brings us in. And I think the best moment in all the stories where this is true is in chapter 12 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader where the main characters are on a mission to rescue seven exiled lords, and they are, they're sailing uh, for, for a long time. And as they're sailing, they begin to come upon this dark, what appears to be a dark island. But as they get closer, what they see is it's just darkness itself. They're sailing right into darkness. They're terrified. They're frightened. And they all begin to say to one another, we have to go around. We have to get out of this. We have to run for the hills, basically. Sail around it. And that's what they decide to do until the most courageous character in the story, a little mouse named Reepicheep, pipes up and he says, no way. We are not sailing around the darkness. We are sailing right into it. And here's the reason why. He says, here is as great an adventure as I ever heard. And so Reepicheep wins the argument. They sail into the darkness and an adventure begins. And that's what I think Lewis gets right about life is that life is an adventure that requires courage. And it's why his stories are so compelling. And I start our time with uh, this story together This morning, because when it comes to to life with God or when it comes to life with Jesus, I often hear it described as if it's if you take up life with God, you you get to sail around the darkness. That if you take up life with God and you have enough faith 
you believe enough, you pray hard enough, you do the right things, then, then you, get, you get out of the darkness. Things work out for you, for you. Your life goes the way that you want it to go, and that is just not true. But I want to tell you something this morning. I wish someone had told me a long time ago. Life with God requires courage. And I want to let Psalm 27 lead us into that idea. Why we need courage in life with God, what courage is, and how we get it. All right, so first, why life with God requires courage. Now, we're in the Psalms. That's our series. And we've, we've looked at a number of Psalms throughout the week. And, and I have to be honest, early in my life, when I uh, was first encouraged to read the Psalms, I didn't really want to. Because for whatever reason, I thought the Psalms were uh, just written by like shepherds snuggling with sheep in a field or written by these very serious religious people on fluffed up pillows. Like not the sort of people I would want to listen to. So the Psalms just felt like, you know, sort of the boring prayers that you would hear in church from time to time. And then when I actually read the Psalms, they're nothing like that. The Psalms are dangerous. The Psalms are people on adventures in danger asking God for help. And you see that here in Psalm 27 with David. David, who is a warrior himself, who's writing this prayer, lays out the situation he's in in verses three or two and three. Listen to the, the language that David uses. It says, evildoers assail me. Then in the second half of verse two, adversaries and foes, they have now joined the evildoers and they are partnering up against David. And they become an army in verse three, encamped against him so that they can wage war against him in verse three. There's an escalation there from adversaries to an army to war itself. David is praying this prayer like a marine in a foxhole, surrounded by trouble, his life on the line. And so David prays. So why does life with God require courage? Because life is war. Life is a battle. Life is, is an adventure. And you may hear that and think, don't be so dramatic, um, Tim. And yet, throughout my life, I've, I've felt these things. Whether it was in middle school, when I was just trying to do whatever I could to make some friends and make sure I didn't say anything that would mean a girl would never talk to me again. Or later in life, when um, I got a diagnosis for someone that I, I love dearly that was, was devastating to me. Whatever life is, it, is, it brings an adventure, war, challenge. And listen, that's something I know as a pastor is that, that all of us, all of us have things in our hearts and our lives that we wrestle with deeply, that feel like war, that feel like people, an army, a war is coming up against us. So why do we pretend like that's not true? Why do we pretend like life is not war? And Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God in, Suffer, in Pain and Suffering, he has an interesting answer to that. He says that Western culture, Western secular culture in particular, the culture you and I live in, is the least equipped to deal with suffering of any culture in history. And the reason is because we build our meaning in life around the pursuits of pleasure. The pursuits of, of doing what will bring me joy, what will make me happy. Or in the words of the Disney princess Moana, actually she doesn't sing these songs, but a song from that movie, once you know what you like, well, there you are. Yes, we've reached deep into the, the Disney uh, vault in this quarantine time for our family. Um, but a lot of Christianity, as I hear it described, sounds more like Moana than the scriptures. 
That whatever you like, that's what your life should be about. So look within, what do you desire? What do you want from life? And go and do that. Be happy, avoid suffering. And Keller points out, if your life is built on the pursuit of pleasure, then suffering can never have meaning. It's only interruption. It can never be something you're drawn to because it has no inherent meaning to it. It's only a diversion from what you want your life to really be about. And a lot of American Christianity makes pleasure the center of our lives. Avoid danger. Avoid trouble. If darkness is coming, sail around it. Find happier waters. And to be clear, it's never and not wrong to pray to get out of the darkness. Of course we should. And yet, life with God requires courage. And again and again in the Bible, the, pe- the people who take up life with God, David here, Abraham, Job, Paul, Jesus himself, people who take up life with God find themselves in trouble, in danger. Life with God requires courage. And if you take up life with God, it will be an adventure like no one's, like you've never heard of. But it will also be a battle, a struggle. Life is war. There are enemies, but there is also God. Which is why David begins the psalm by asking the questions, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There is war and there is God. That's why life requires courage. Life with God requires courage. That's why. So what is, uh, what is courage? And I, I want to be careful here because I think sometimes we confuse courage with, with positivity. And so a Duke professor by the name of Kate Bowler, she wrote a book that, that reflected on this sort of, this trend in the American church to be, to be positive. And, and the way she meant that was, uh, there's this trend we have within us to, to only look at something positive, to shut out the negative things, to not talk about them, to not name them, to not think about them, to shut them away and just be positive, that, that a lot of the church can begin to say, listen, with enough faith, with enough trust, with enough good effort, you will get the life that you want. You will be, if you follow God, you'll be happy, you'll be wealthy, you'll have your best life now. That's the promise made. And what Kate Bowler says is that's, that's actually a crushing message to those who are suffering or to those who are in, um, in pain. And this is, this is an idea or thought that permeates throughout the American church, not just preachers on TV, but everywhere where we have this desire, this tendency to ignore the darkness, to try to sail around it, pretend it's not there. And so after she finished her book, reflecting on this this trend in the church, she herself was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And in that diagnosis was was even more overwhelmed of this, this tendency to deny what's hard. And so she was interviewed by the New York Times a couple weeks ago in light of the pandemic going around. And here's what she wrote. It's fascinating. The idea that we are all supposed to be positive all the time has become an American obsession. It gives us momentum and purpose to feel like the best is yet to come. But the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison in which it expects that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everyone right now, are somehow always supposed to find their silver lining or not speak realistically about their circumstances. If I see one more millionaire on Instagram yell that she is choosing joy while selling journals in which stay-at-home moms are supposed to write joy mantra, uh, mantras, I am going to lose my mind. That will preach, to me at least. 
The positivity is not courage. Courage is not ignoring trouble, pain. Look away. Just be positive. I'm refusing to name it. And so that might, okay, so is courage like just being negative? Like life is war, toughen up, buttercup. Is that, is that what courage is? No, it's, it's neither positivity or negativity. And, and here, here is my best worked out definition of courage in light of Psalm 27. Courage is the readiness to risk everything on what hope in God requires next. Courage is the readiness to risk everything on what hope in God requires next. The courage is what hope in God requires next. At the end of this psalm, uh, ends with those commands that I prayed over us. Wait for the Lord. And a lot of commentators say, basically that word wait also means hope. Right? We, waiting is not just this passive um, thing. It's this active hoping in God to be the one who meets our needs. And so the end of the psalm isn't just about waiting for God, it's about hoping in God. And you see David doing this at the beginning of the psalm in verse 4. Here's what David writes. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. We'll just pause there and just ask, what is, what is the one thing you're asking God for right now? What is the one thing you are, you are seeking after? Or maybe ask someone you're living with right now. What's the one thing you're asking God for? Or what, what, is, what does your finances say about that? What, is, what are your daydreams, the things you're chewing on in your mind? What does it say about the one thing you are seeking for? Because here's David in the midst of danger. He's surrounded by enemies. He's in the middle of a war. And he's saying to God, there's one thing I want. Here's what it is. One thing I have asked the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. The thing David asked for is not to get things back to normal, even so much to get out of trouble. It's to, it's to be with God. David asks for God. That's the one he, thing he sings, seeks, is the presence of God. And the language is, is moving. As you move through the psalm, it gets more and more intimate, right? David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, his temple, right? This big building that he would communally worship others with. And then I will hide me in his shelter, right? A smaller uh, construction, a smaller building. And then finally, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. A very intimate image. Have you ever, have you ever slept in a tent with other people? I mean, first of all, why would you do that? Have you heard of Airbnb? But if you have to do that, if you have to sleep in a tent in close quarters with other people, it's, it's incredibly close. It's cramped. It's personal, it's intimate. And so here you get David, he's surrounded by his enemies, he's in trouble, war has come against him, his enemies want to kill him. And God says, I have a tent. Let's go, let me hide you in there. Come into my presence, let's commune together. And David says, that's all I want. So when courage 
is the readiness to risk everything and what hope in God requires next. It means the object of our life, the hope of our life, is the presence of God, is communing with God. So that's one half of my definition of courage. The other half, it's the readiness to risk everything, um, comes in, in what is actually very confusing about this psalm to many commentators. All right, so I just gave you this very intimate image of, of David and God alone in a tent together. They are, he's praying, he's in the presence of God, it's incredible. Um, and then we get in verse 6, uh, he, is, he is singing, he's making melody to the Lord. Things are great for David. And then in verse 7, it all changes, and commentators are incredibly confused by this. Right, so verse 6, David, he's in the tent, he's singing, he's making melody to the Lord, he's in a good place. And then verse 7, we read, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, don't cast me away. Don't forsake me. Oh God of my salvation. And so like really brilliant Hebrew commentators are like, wait a minute, we were in the tent and now he's saying that God is far from him. Right? And the, the key word there being this word hide, which in verse five, God is hiding David in the tent from his enemies. And then in verse nine, God is hiding his face from David. How do we get from verse five to verse nine? And there's all sorts of interesting answers. Some commentators say, well, they put two Psalms that don't really fit together. They just put them together and that's Psalm 27. Others say, well, that's like it was a worship liturgy and it was the worship service order and you started with communion with God and then there was lament. Here's my thought is maybe that's just how life with God is. That one moment you're communing, you're confident in the presence of God and the next moment you wonder where he went and where he is. And the next minute he's hiding from you. That's, that's what's happening, I think. Is as David's praying, he has this experience of the presence of God. And then maybe he opens his eyes and he looks out. The enemies are still there. Life hasn't changed. And he starts lamenting, God, don't hide from me now. So back to the voyage of the Don Treader. They decide to sail into the darkness. And when they sail into the darkness, it's, it's terrible. They are surrounded by darkness for days. They begin to lose Hope. Everyone is getting frustrated and scared and feeling alone and wondering, will we ever get out of this? Will the adventure end in ruin? And so Lucy, the little girl of the story, full of faith, begins to speak to the God figure of the story, Aslan the lion. She prays to Aslan. And she prays, Aslan, Aslan, if you have ever loved us at all, please send help now. Lucy's crushed. Where did Aslan go? Why is he letting us persist in darkness? What happened? And life with God requires courage because one day you will pray that prayer. And one day you'll have to risk faith or a next step on the fact that God's presence feels distant to you and you want to give up and you want to turn around and you want to go back and sail around the darkness. You want to go back to those, those easy things we can always grab that bring us hope and joy in a moment. Right? We want to go back to making our life around pleasure, around our Netflix queue or a good drink or a vacation or to begin to seek things that we can grasp with our hands because we cannot wait on God anymore. And I wonder how many of us, that's where our spirit's going now. We're tempted in this moment of a pandemic to say, my hope is in things going back to normal. 
My hope isn't a vaccine. My hope is in getting a hold of all of this, this disease expansion. Or my hope is, is reopening the economy. Whatever it is, don't make your hope sailing around the darkness. Go through it and seek the presence of God in it. Courage is the readiness to risk everything for what hope in God requires next. That's what courage is. So it means hoping in God. It means the willingness to risk. So thirdly, how do we become those type of people? If you're anything like me, when I read the end of the psalm, it's both uplifting to me. Wait for the Lord. (laughs) Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In one sense, that's enlivening. In another sense, it's crushing. How do I just like look within myself and say, okay, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to face the darkness with courage. How do we do that? And two things. You have to wait and you have to remember. You have to wait and you have to remember. Right? So the, the psalm ends, David says, wait for the Lord. And if you want to grow your courage, you have to, to learn how to operate in that place of waiting for God, being patient for him, seeking his, his presence. And so let me, let me revisit the question I asked earlier. What is the one thing you're seeking after right now? What's the one thing you want most in life? John and Charles Wesley, who both started Methodism and wrote a number of hymns we continue to sing to this day, both credited their faith, not to their father, who was a pastor, but to their mother, to Susanna Wesley. Life dealt her incredibly harsh blows. She sailed through the darkness many times. She had 19 children, nine of whom died in infancy. Her house was burned down to the ground twice by fellow Christians. Because apparently in that day, when you didn't like the pastor, you burned his house down. Don't get any ideas. But her husband was a pastor in that day, and the church threatened and persecuted her family. Her husband got their family into debt. He was eventually thrown into the debtor's prison, which meant she was left to raise her kids alone. And in the midst of this chaos, she had a rule that she lived by. For every hour of entertainment she gave her life to, she spent an hour in prayer. And that raises a massive question, right? Especially those of us staying at home with our kids right now. How is that possible um, to do any prayer at all with, with young kids at home and and what she would do is she would get in the kitchen and she would put the apron over her head and she would tell her kids when the apron's over my head I I'm in the tent with God she didn't say that but I'm just for Psalm 27 sake I'm in the tent with God I'm praying leave me alone and there in her kitchen under her apron she sought the presence of God and courage comes from those little moments putting our aprons on our heads seeking the presence wherever we are that our, our one thing we would ask, that we would seek after, that we would long for, is the presence of God. So wherever you're at, embrace those practices of seeking God and wait for Him. Courage requires waiting for the Lord. But second, uh, the way we grow our courage is we remember. Right, so the, these commands should feel a little crushing to you, right? Wait For the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. You better have courage, right? But that's not what David's doing, actually. When David says those words, he's actually meditating on a scripture. He's remembering past promises of God. So these two verbs, be strong um, and take courage, 
are the same verbs that appear in Joshua 1. And it's clear David is meditating on Joshua 1. And in that, that Joshua 1 passage, Joshua is getting ready to go into battle. He is surrounded by enemies. And he is seeking the Lord. And here's what God says to, jo- to jo- uh, Joshua in this moment. Be strong and courageous. Same verbs as Psalm 27. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And you can almost see David meditating on that passage. David, be strong. Be courageous. The Lord is with you wherever you go. He was with Joshua in Joshua 1. He'll be with me now. He is with me wherever I go. That what fills us as Christians with courage is not blind positivity, shutting our eyes to reality. What fills the Christian with courage is we remember God's past promises. We meditate on them, we dwell on them, and we bring them into today. And so back to the voyage of the Dawn Treader one last time. Lucy offers up that little prayer. Aslan, Aslan, if you've ever loved us, please come help now. And a little bit after that prayer, what, what appears to be a white light comes off in the distance. And it gets closer and closer and closer as the ship nears it. But as it gets closer, it becomes clear it's not a light, it's a bird. And everyone is disappointed and devastated. Because what was hope now just turns out to be this bird that flies around the ship and then flies away. But Lucy hears the bird speak. And here's what happens. No one except Lucy knew that as it circled the mast, it had whispered to her, Courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan. And with the voice, a delicious smell breathed in her face. In a few moments, the darkness turned into a grayness ahead. And then almost before they dared to begin hoping, they had shot out into the sunlight and were in the warm blue world again. And all at once, everybody realized that there was nothing to be afraid of and never had been. Three years or so ago, my family entered into a time of intense suffering and grief. Entered into darkness that, that I've never experienced in my life. And we sailed right into consuming darkness. It was hard, and it's still hard. And this line from Voyage of the Dawn Treader became the, the rallying cry of my family, so much so that friends of ours from Brookside, um, Rachel, made us this, which hangs on our mantle. Courage, dear heart. It hangs on our fireplace. That we are risking everything on what hope in God requires next. And it is, it is hard. Which is why the answer of Psalm 27 is not to look us in the face and say, you better, you better get stronger. You better be more courageous. You better wait. It's not, that's not what it's, it's offering us. It's calling us to remember. To be strong and courageous because God was with Joshua. He was with David. And while David meditated on Joshua 1, we meditate on the person of Jesus. That our hope looks back to the promises and presence of God who met us in the person of Jesus, who himself was surrounded by enemies, by adversaries, by foes, who became an army that, that went to war against him, nailing him to a cross and putting him in a grave. 
But his death was a promise to us. It's my body broken for you. My blood shed for you. I died the death that you would have died in the darkness so that you can come through it like I did into the sunlight, into the warm blue sun of resurrection life. That promise is the seed of courage for the Christian life. To say our operation is not to sail around the darkness. We will sail right into it. Because when we look at the cross and at the the empty tomb, when we look at the person and the presence of Jesus, we know, not today, but one day we will see that there was never anything to be afraid of and never had been.